Welcome to Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee, a podcast brought to you by the Tennessee Initiative for Perinatal Quality Care. TIPQC exists to improve health outcomes for mothers and infants in Tennessee through our quality collaborative that will identify opportunities to optimize maternal and infant outcomes across our state and is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. The Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee podcast is designed for medical professionals and for patients and families across the state. We will focus on all aspects of the perinatal period with special attention to reducing our maternal mortality rate. This podcast is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. Welcome to Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee podcast brought to you by the Tennessee Initiative for Perinatal Quality Care. I'm Brenda Barker, the TIPQC Executive Director, and we have a very special guest with us today, Elizabeth Hart. Elizabeth is the Director of the Office of Faith-Based and Community Engagement for the Tennessee Department of Health, leading all outreach activities, including the Health Disparities Task Force. She received her BA in Communication from Alabama A&M University, and then she went on to get an MS in Communications from Middle Tennessee State University. Elizabeth has led public education campaigns to increase breastfeeding, immunizations, prenatal care, proper sleeping positions for infants, and workplace health initiatives to disseminate information about health threats. Elizabeth received national recognition for her use of social media and public health from the National Association of City and County Health Officials, the National Public Health Information Coalition, and the annual government social media conference with three campaigns being nominated for an Emmy Award. Again, it is our delight to welcome you today, Elizabeth. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. What a, it's, it's always interesting to hear my bio read back to you, right? <laughs> it is, and it's very impressive. And so we are thrilled to have the opportunity to chat with you just for a few minutes today. But tell us just a little bit about yourself and what got you involved in public health? Yeah, you know, I love the world of public health. So again, thank you so much for having me and for all the wonderful listeners to this podcast who are tuning in to hear about me and my life and my career and, and the wonderful work that we're doing at the Tennessee Department of Health. So I will get started. You know, I, as you said, as mentioned, I attended Alabama A&M University. I originally wanted to be a physician going through some old photo albums with my mother not too long ago discovered a newspaper article um, that i was quoted in at the age of 14 and that's hard to believe at 14 years old i said i wanted to be a pediatric cardiologist now i don't know what happened in my life at 14 that made me want to be a pediatric cardiologist i wanted to be a that and the U.S. president at the age of 14. So had always had a, a desire to go to medical school and then in undergrad really fell in love with communications. I worked at the radio station there in Huntsville, Alabama at WJAB. And then after graduation, I just wanted a break. And one of my wonderful mentors as well as professors at the university encouraged me to kind of merge that passion that I had for medicine and for helping people with that 
career experience that I already had working in communications. And so then I ended up working at the Indiana University School of Medicine, which just took me into a whole nother realm of communications. It was different than radio, but it was really awesome to be able to engage with physicians and students and learn about one, all the wonderful things that they were doing. And so while at you back home in Indianapolis, I, I am from Indianapolis, Indiana. If you notice, I still don't have that Tennessee accent, even though I've lived here in this state now for almost 11 years. So while I was at IU, um, Hurricane Katrina happened. And that was my first opportunity to be introduced to public health because many of the individuals in New Orleans were either bust or flown to Indianapolis because they were trying to get them out of the, the damaged area there in, in, Louis, in, in New Orleans. And so had an opportunity to, to really see firsthand, how does public health work? And I have not turned back since. From there, one of my wonderful mentors at the Indiana University School of Medicine was Dr. Judy Monroe. She went on to become the deputy director of the CDC. But before that, um, she was the state health commissioner in Indiana. And so she brought me on board as her director of marketing, where I was overseeing all the campaigns at the health department there for the state and really pushing a lot of messages about MRSA and immunizations and HIV, and as well as some other uh, subject areas, of course. Um, but I was also the spokesperson there for the agency. So I kind of wore two different hats. And that was around the time that social media first was introduced into the workplace. So for those who are old enough and are listening to this podcast, once upon a time for Facebook, you actually had to have a college ID or college email to actually get logged into Facebook. And so um, it started, of course, as literally a social platform that then started entering into the workplace and workforce and, and employers. And that was where we started looking at how can we manage that with public health. From there, I continued to work for the Indiana State Department of Health and then worked for a small nonprofit for a bit and then moved to Memphis, Tennessee where I was a public information officer for the Shelby County Health Department there in Memphis. And what a wonderful opportunity. What a wonderful time to meet some incredible folks in Memphis. Memphis is always going to be very near and dear to my heart. Many of my friends are still there. And what it was a great opportunity because I'd worked at the state level. I'd worked at the university level. Now I had the opportunity to work at the local level, meet folks where they are, meet with faith leaders, meet with nonprofit leaders, elected officials, folks just am in and out of community centers. And I tell people all the time, even though I'm now at the State Department of Health, it's always an incredible experience to go shadow or to be with that local health department, be with those local folks and meet those folks right there on the ground. So I had a great opportunity to stay there in Memphis for about five years. And as, as many of my former colleagues said, I did a control-alt-delete on the entire brand of the Shelby County Health Department, including creating that the website that they still use today, which is shelbytnhealth.com. I named it, branded it, and really helped to get them really back out into the community. For so long, many people felt like health, public health is where you get your birth or death, death certificates, right? And so we were able to kind of widen that, that imagination of all the wonderful work that the public health 
workforce does in the community. And then from there, I came to the Department of Health, Tennessee Department of Health here in the Nashville area um, as the Associate Director of Communications. And then most recently, in the last two years or so, became, as you mentioned, the Director of the Office of Faith-Based and Community Engagement. Fun fact for those that are listening who lived in the state of Tennessee during the global pandemic of COVID-19, if you recall getting those two o'clock updates every day during the pandemic, whether you saw it online, on the social media platforms, or you received the notification from your local or favorite newscast, those two o'clock numbers were actually from me. Every day, I was the one that published those on our social media platforms and got that information out to the media. So if you remember those two o'clock updates, which then became three o'clock and then four o'clock updates, <laughs> that was me. So we had, we learned so much during COVID and all those years of experience that I had certainly helped, but also you had to learn on the fly and really navigate through uncharted territory. None of us living through COVID-19 for the most part, I'm not going to say everybody, but for the most part, none of us lived through the previous pandemic, right, of 1918. And so this was all of our training was was put to the test. And I'm happy to say that I have, I have come through on the other side, and now we're getting back to the work of public health. So that brings me to where I am today. Sure. Well, thank you, first off, for all those two and three o'clock updates. I a few of those, might I add. But thank you for just kind of helping us to figure out that career path because it certainly has been very impactful. And so we really want to thank you just for all the work that you've done for all of us across the state. But I just, you know, help us understand what does the Director of Faith-Based and Community Engagement do at the Department of Health and why is it important to engage the community and our faith-based partners with healthcare. How, how, how does that intersect? Absolutely. And thank you for that question. And that, I think that, that actually ties very well into where I was talking about my career and being promoted to this position. So during COVID-19, we could not have done the work that we did at the Tennessee Department of Health without our faith leaders. And, and it goes even beyond Tennessee. It really is across the country. We could not have done the work with COVID without our faith leaders. And that was when we realized we need to amplify this particular office. And that's why I was promoted to it. Faith leaders are the trusted resources, the trusted source in their community. They have a lot of the great information and individuals, their congregants, they respect them. And so things that they talk about, they listen to. And so when we were in the middle of the pandemic and even other public health threats that have come before the COVID-19 pandemic, we knew that we needed to utilize these individuals to get information out. So during the pandemic, we would call on faith leaders because everyone was, of course, was virtual to talk about COVID, talk about the, the, the symptoms, talk about the importance of testing, and then even more important, talk about the importance of the immunizations and the vaccines um, against COVID. Faith leaders are, are so amazing because they know their congregation. They not only know the congregation, they know their community. They know the area and the neighborhoods where their physical building 
things may be located. They know that area. And so again, as I mentioned, they are trusted sources. And so it's important for my office to not only work with faith leaders, but then even outside the faith leaders, nonprofit leaders, right? So we have so many nonprofits, wonderful nonprofits in the state of Tennessee and across the country. And we, we, we want to utilize and work with them and have a great working relationship building partnerships, because what better than to have a nonprofit and a state entity working together to help those individuals in that community. So that's why it's so important for my office to be part of so many other program areas. We work with those who work with pediatricians and those in children and those with women and men and you name it. We work with everyone. We have a touch point with everyone. So what we, we call it in our office, we are the connectors. Right. If, if you had to boil down what we do in my office, I have an incredible, incredible team. We are spanned all throughout the state. We are the connectors. We know how folks can get resources. And so the faith leaders of all faiths reach out to me or members of my team and say, hey, I have a congregation member that needs fill in the blank. So what do we do? We help them to get access to those resources, letting them know what is available or where we can help find them some assistance with what their what their what their need is. And so again, you know, faith leaders and, and nonprofit leaders, I mean, they are truly the backbone of our communities and we utilize them and work with them. It is a two-way relationship. It is not a one-way. I, on every, any given week, I'm talking to faith leaders, either in person or virtual, um, to learn what needs they have, what barriers their congregation members are experiencing, and how we, as the Department of Health, can help facilitate getting access to resources. Well, thank you so much for that. And as TPC and our maternal hospitals, our birthing hospitals, as well as our babies across the state, as we work really in that population, we heard you share some tips for engaging the community. So we know it's important to engage our community, our faith leaders, and we certainly want to do that, but maybe you have a few tips on how to best go about engaging our other partners. Absolutely. So one of the wonderful things that we do in our office is we help folks to engage with their own communities, right? Because we know that they are the trusted source in their community, whether it's rural or whether that's urban. We don't want to come in and just kind of take over and talk to their own neighbors, right? We want to give them that those tools so that they can then converse and engage with those community members. And so we have you have 10 tips that we tend to, to talk about. And I actually talked about this at the, at the conference. And so first one being providing an inviting space. One of the great things about engaging with different groups is you want to be able to for everyone to know that they are invited in to give their comments, to give their feedback, and that they know that there is an invitation there. So you have that open dialogue, right? Uh, as you mentioned, I lead the Health Disparities Task Force. Every single meeting, I make sure that everyone knows you are invited in to listen, to to, in, to engage, to provide your comments and feedback. So that's the first tip we always tell everyone. When you gather individuals, whether it's virtually or in person, number one, provide an inviting space. Number two, create a safe space. Everyone's viewpoint is important and everyone's viewpoint should be respected. 
So we want to make sure that everyone knows it's a safe space for people to feel what they want to feel, express how they want to express, because we're all looking for solutions for any barriers that individuals are experiencing or to come up with great creative ideas, right? So creating that safe space along with that inviting space helps individuals to have that two-way conversation and communication with all individuals who are in that particular meeting or that space. Number three, talking to the community, not at the community. As I just mentioned, it's a two-way street, right? We want to make sure that we are engaging with, not doing a lecture and you know talking to. If you've ever attended any presentation that I give, I always make sure that it's interactive because I want to talk to you, not talk at you. Number four, one size does not fit all. It's important that you customize your approach. So how you speak to other healthcare providers, if you are listening to this podcast and you're a healthcare provider, whether you're a physician or a nurse practitioner or a nurse, how you speak with your colleagues is certainly going to be different than how you speak to maybe a group of grandmothers, right, at the local church, right? Same message that you want to deliver but it's how you deliver it, right? So one size does not fit all. So you wanna make sure that you're customizing how you're conversing with that particular audience. Number five, allowing a pathway for feedback. Again, that goes to that two-way street that we just mentioned a minute ago. You want folks in on that are sitting in your meeting or gathered with you to feel comfortable, right? With providing feedback. Constructive criticism is a wonderful thing. In my entire career, I would not be where I am without constructive criticism because that has helped me to grow and helped me to realize, okay, you know, that campaign could have been done a little bit better based on the feedback from individuals it was supposed to be tailored for. Number six, data is your friend. Use it. Data is so important. Everything we do in public health Everything hospitals do across this state, across the country, and clinics do is based on data, right? So understand the data. It is your friend. (laughs) Use it. Talk to individuals like epidemiologists who can really break down what that data means. Number seven, engaging with traditional and non-traditional partners. Right. So we talked a little bit about that one size does not fit all. Making sure that you're engaging with folks across your community. So you may have one group of faith leaders. You may have another group of teachers. You may have another group of musicians, right? You may have another group of folks who are experiencing homelessness, right? So when we think about traditional and non-traditional partners, we want you to think about the entire community, not just the subset of, of individuals or the sector in which you and which you work right, and where you live. Number eight, Embracing diverse lived experiences. So at the top of this podcast, I mentioned I am from Indianapolis, and hence the reason I don't yet have that that Southern accent, right? My lived experience living in the middle in the in the middle of the the country in the Midwest is different than other individuals who are born and raised here in Tennessee, right? It's important that you embrace that. I am an African American woman. So my lived experience is going to be different than others, right? So it's important that we are open and we listen to those individuals that we are engaging with and respect their lived experience. Number nine, 
encourage creativity. Of course, I'm in communications, right? So I love creativity. It's amazing the incredible ideas that come out of engaging with communities. You might have some real geniuses in your backyard that you may not know about. So what you don't know, you don't know that answer if you don't ask that question, right? So if you encourage creativity, encourage folks to have that space, remember, that's an inviting space, a creating a safe space, then guess what? They're going to their creativity is going to flow. And you want to encourage that. And number 10, because I am a hip hop fan, I always have to add this in. It's stop, collaborate and listen. Now, if I said that and you heard it in the original individual's voice who, who actually had that song, bonus points to you. But stop, collaborate and listen is so important. We could not do what we do without listening to our communities. Many times we want to talk, 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 but if we don't stop and listen, then how can we adjust and how can we move forward with the work that we are doing? And that includes all of you who are listening to this podcast, whether again, if you're a provider, if you're a community member, you have to listen to those communities in which you serve. So those are the top 10 tips that I tend to give to presentations across the state, across this country, and to encourage individuals to engage with their diverse communities. Thank you so much. I love the top 10 list that you share. One thing I, I remember that you told me before, another key is to actually get out of your office. That's correct. Yeah, that, you're absolutely right. So one of the, as I mentioned, Dr. Judy Monroe, who is my, my beloved mentor, who got me into the world of public health, she now leads the CDC Foundation. And one of the most important nuggets that she taught me many, 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 many years ago was public health is getting outside of your four walls. If you are spending time, whether you are in public health or you are a physician, if you're spending your entire week in the four walls of your office, of your clinic, seeing patients, you need to take a break, walk outside, walk around your community, listen, engage with individuals, talk with the individual perhaps at the grocery store, or perhaps someone who's waiting at the bus stop. Get on the bus with them, right? Let's, let's all participate in public transportation. It's important that you get outside of your office and truly observe what is happening around you. That is going to help you not only be a better provider, whether again, whether you're a physician or a nurse, or if you work in the public health field, right? We, we love data and we love reports, but we can't honestly do the great work if we do not get outside of those four walls. So I encourage everyone who is listening to this podcast, no matter what day or time that you are listening to this, when you finish, because we want you to finish with listening to the podcast, I encourage you to go out into your community. Just take 30 minutes of your day. And if you take 30 minutes and you're walking, you'll get your 30 minutes of physical activity for the day. Get outside of your walls, get outside of your office and look and be around those within your community. Thank you so much. Not only great tips for engaging our community, but also some public service, health announcements to get out and get your walk in today. Well, are there any final words or closing thoughts you'd want to share with us today? 
You know, I I love the work that TIPQC is doing, and I, it was an honor to uh, attend the conference and meet so inc incredible providers across the state. And, you know, one of the things that we do in, in my office is we just encourage folks to meet a new person. Um, I know it sounds simple, and for some people it might be a struggle, and we respect that. There are some people who just don't easily meet other individuals. But in order to be a better human, to be a better citizen of your community, to be a better provider, to be a better public health practitioner, you've got to go meet people where they are. I have been to the highways and byways in different campaigns. I, I, I led an opioid campaign that took me through to the, the holler part of the state, to the urban part of Memphis, to the jails, to churches, to courtrooms. I am a better person because of that, because I've met individuals from all walks of life. I embrace their lived experience and it helps me to be a better person and a better public health professional. So I encourage everyone who is listening to this podcast to just get outside, meet your neighbors. I challenge you to meet one new person a week, find out their story and continue telling your story and encourage them to tell theirs. That's gonna help all of us be better Tennesseans. Thank you for listening to this episode of Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee, presented by TIPQC. TIPQC is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. Do you have ideas for a future guest or topic, or even have a question you would like answered on upcoming episodes? Visit www.tipqc.org. That's T-I-P-Q-C dot org and click on podcast to submit suggestions and questions to our podcast team. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast to be the first to know when new episodes are available and find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube to stay in the loop with our active projects and other relevant news relating to perinatal health in Tennessee.